picked the right day to come to church. Three answers to the disciples' question, Lord, teach us to pray. First answer, prayer is relational. Jesus says, it's not about your title. It's not about how much of the word you have in you. It's not even about how the, the long your tenure has been in serving God. Though all those things are important, prayers, they don't start there. The starting point of prayer is relationship. Verse 2 says, as Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed or holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. This prayer has been referred to as the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus wasn't saying this is the formula, this, you know, you got to recite this. We should memorize it. That's what we're memorizing as a prayer during this 40-day journey. But what Jesus was saying is this, this is the way I approach God when I pray. Take my approach. Start off by saying, Father. Relationship. Now, we here in America, we say, Father. Dad, but it's not capturing the meaning of that word father in the original language. This particular title, father, comes from the Aramaic word Abba, where we get the English word daddy. Jesus says, here's how I approach God in prayer. It's not the formal title. It's not this poised, well-coiffered title. It's, it's the, a term of endearment. Daddy, I love what the Latino community has. They, you'll see the, the little child or teenager say to their dad, Papi. There's something warm about it. It's endearing. It means that whatever is to follow that term of endearment, it's personal, I'll be truthful, I'll be vulnerable, I'll be honest, and I'll be candid, because I'm not playing games, daddy. So Jesus is telling his disciples, start there with relationship. And then Jesus continued, he says, look, he says, hallowed be your name, holy be your name, precious be your name, valued be your name, revered be your name. In other words, I, I honor you. You know, one of the most beautiful things I love to hear is when I hear an adult man speak so positively about his dad. I mean, that, that just does wonders to me. Because so rare in our culture do we hear men speaking positively, or women for that matter, speaking positively about their earthly dad. And Jesus is saying, Prayer is relational. Then Jesus says, your kingdom come. See, before I make a request, I want you to know, Daddy, it's all about your kingdom. 
I want your will, your reign, your rulership, your dreams, your interests, your goals to come to pass. Prayer is relational. He says, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven others. See, Jesus is saying, look, I don't want to mess up our relationship by my sin. So he's teaching the disciples, don't let sin get in the way because it'll hinder prayers. Since prayer is relational, you got to have things right. Can you imagine if, if, if I just said something real nasty and mean to you, we're sitting out there having a cup of coffee, and I just said something mean and nasty to you, and then 10 minutes later, I say, hey, can you give me a ride to the mall? You're going to have a problem with that. Because you're going to say, wait a second, you can't overlook this infraction, this offense, this sin, the way you've treated me. It's not right. You can't overlook it. Don't gloss over it. I don't, I don't want a gift. I want you to deal with that. And so prayer is relational. You know, Forbes magazine, they say that Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, is arguably the wealthiest man on the planet. He's the first centi-billionaire. First billionaire that had reached $100 billion. That's a lot of moolah. He has four children. If Jeff Bezos was at the Rockaway Mall signing books, and one of his kids came up to him and said, Dad, can you give me 100 bucks? I saw a pair of jeans. I just want to buy it. Boom, into his pocket, pulled out a penny. I meant $100. Pulled out <laughs> the equivalent, the same. And so pulls it out, gives it to the kid, off he goes. If your child was saying, Mr. Bezos, can you give me 100 bucks? I saw a great pair of jeans in the store. He's going to turn the other way and ignore you. Why? No relationship. God's the same way. Prayer is relational. Wave at me if you got it. Good. Start there. If you don't have a relationship with God, don't, don't go to God asking him for money. Ask him for stuff. Start off with a relationship. This, and the way God wants you to relate with him is through the angle and through the road and through the venue of forgiveness. You have to say, Lord, I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I've been wayward. I've been doing my own thing. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Change me. I want Jesus to be my Savior. Now all of a sudden you have a connection. And if you don't have that connection, at the end of my teaching, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get that connection. But what we learn from Jesus himself is this. Prayer is relational. He's still teaching. And then we learn prayer requires persistence. He moves now from this model or approach to prayer and he gives a story. Stories always get us to have the right attitude, the right emotional disposition. And throughout the Bible, Jesus always used this language, persistence, when he talked about prayer. In fact, in another story, another parable in Luke 18, verse 1, there's this one statement Jesus made as he's introducing the story. He says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. In other, other words, he's saying, he's making this connection because many of us seldom make that connection. Hey, when you pray, just say it, done, over with. In many instances, yes, but in other instances, no. Jesus says, when you pray, you got to be persistent. What do you mean persistent? Don't be a quitter. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. 
Don't, don't stop asking. Stay the course. Continue in prayer. Because in that, you get a breakthrough. Let's see how Jesus illustrates it as he's talking to this disciple and the other disciples who questioned him. Lord, teach us to pray. Verse 5 says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, we're listening to this story, and we're reading it, the mindset of Westerners in the 21st century, there's a disconnect culturally. The audience that Jesus is telling the story to are Easterners in first century. They got it. See, bread in first century was akin to cutlery for us, a knife, a spoon, a fork. And the fact that this man had no bread, that means the person visiting him would not have a knife, a spoon, a fork to eat the, to sop up the gravy, to put the meat on in order to be able to bring it to his mouth. And so that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is this. Eastern society, it's fraught with this culture of hospitality. If you were that person who got a friend visiting you at midnight, that person traveling comes to you, it would be the worst thing for you as that friend to have someone visit you and you have no food to offer them no cutlery to give them it would be a disgrace it would be a dishonor you would be looked upon in the most inhospitable way you would get a bad rap and then when you can't offer that 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 person going you know going on their journey that visiting friend food and cutlery not only will you be looked upon negatively your entire village will be looked upon negatively. So this is a lot. So what this guy did when he gets this friend coming at midnight, he goes to a neighbor because they know in the small village who has baked bread, who has more loaves left over. He knocks on the door. From the inside of the, you know, these one-room houses, that's why the scripture says he was in bed with his children at one-room houses, and so the you know, everyone's laid on their, their pallet, their cot. And so this guy's knocking on the door, and the guy from the sleeping position laying there, Hey, we're all in bed. It's too late. He knocks again. Didn't you hear me? My kids and I are in bed. Go away. But this guy didn't want to have egg on his face. We're going to say he's, you know, he's inhospitable and he's dishonoring me. He didn't bring food to me. And he stands there flat-footed, knocks again. The guy said, didn't you hear me? And then Jesus says, now everybody's angry at this point because how could this guy lay there when he knows the honor of the village and the reputation of the village is at stake? What is this, ridiculous? Who does he think he is? He needs to get up and I don't care what hour of the night it is. That's how the people are thinking in the story as they're listening to Jesus. They're getting angry. And then he gets up and Jesus says, 
He gets up not because of his friendship with that guy knocking. He gets up because of the guy's shameless audacity. And he's not, he, if he laid there, would have been, it would have been told about him all over the village. That guy is so inhospitable. He gave our village a bad name. He did not want to experience this sense of being shamed. So he gets up. Like your teenager, he has to do something sometimes. And he gets up. If you're a teenager, I meant an adult. <laughs> and, and, he, and he gets up and, and he says, oh, here's the bread. You can see him slam the door. Get away. Go back to bed. Shameless audacity. Now, Jesus was saying, God's not like that sleeping guy. Jesus is saying, you need to have this sense of persistence because unlike the sleeping guy, God will respond to your prayer request and God will give more than you request and God will honor your request. And so you need to have an image, though, of this shameless audacity. You can't, you can't be so embarrassed easily because you're, you're praying. I don't know if you've ever gone through that. I, my wife and I, we went to this restaurant. It was in the evening, about maybe 7 o'clock, and we were hungry. And we're sitting there. No waiters, no waitresses around. Where are these people? Sitting. And I'm, impen- I'm, I'm impatient. She's more patient than I am. She's looking at my watch. I said, honey, are you hungry? She said, yeah, I'm hungry. I said, I'm hungry. I said, I'm getting food. She said, what do you mean you're getting food? Yes, I'm going in the kitchen to get these people to give me food. So I got up. She said, what are you doing? She puts her head down. Uh, as if to say, I'm not with him. <laughs> she puts her head down. And I walk in. And I push open the kitchen door. I say, hey, I'm here. Now, I don't know them. They don't know me. I'm hungry. <laughs> Feed me. And they were just talking with one another. They rushed out. And I'm sure they gave me the Tuesday special. But, I <laughs> but, I <laughs> but, but what they did was, I, it was a shameless audacity. How in the world did this guy go in the kitchen at a restaurant? I just did. I was nice about it, but man, that guy has a lot of, the Jewish people say, a lot of chutzpah, a lot of gall. Jesus was saying, you've got to have that same kind of persistence. There's no way you can have a prayer request, a prayer need, and then you quit after you pray the first time. You pray the sentence prayer. Some things require you being able to stay the course. Because you know what the will of God is. You know what the heart of God is. You know the desires of God. You know the plan of God. You have this request. Your heart's so burdened. And you may say, well, does it show a lack of faith? Absolutely not. Matthew 26, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times each time for about an hour about the same thing. Did Jesus have lack of faith? Absolutely not. His heart was full of concern for a need. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prayed three times about the same thing. Did Paul have a lack of faith? He is the one who wrote about faith. It was the fact that his heart was full of concern, full of passion about the same thing. You have to know how to be able to recognize prayer involves persistence. Jesus saying that. Sandy, one of the members of our church, she grew up in the 1950s in the Pittsburgh area. And in a, in a neighborhood where there was an epidemic of polio, adults and children alike were being stricken by polio, this dreaded disease, and back then people were dying. She was the youngest of eight siblings. Before her fourth birthday, she was diagnosed with polio. 
And then there came a sign that they nailed, the authorities nailed on the front door of the house. This house is under quarantine. No one can go in. She was then quarantined, not just to the house, to her bedroom. Shades drawn. And here she is, almost four years old. Her siblings couldn't come in, play with her, talk with her. Only two people were allowed, her mother and the visiting nurse. And so she's there. Can you imagine being in this dark, gloomy room, shades drawn, and here you are, not even, not even four years old, and she's not able to walk. Polio had just you know, paralyzed her, you know, her legs. And she's there, and then these ladies from the local church came to her house. Knocked on the door. They heard that there was a child that was sick, and they said to the mother, open the door. There's a child in our neighborhood that was sick and died last week of polio, and we heard you have a child here that's sick of polio, and we don't want to see that happen again. They didn't bring any cake, any cookies, no pastries, no little gifts, no little toys for, the, for Sandy to play with. They said, we came here to pray, and we're not leaving until God heals her. And she said, and, and, they had, they, and she was, they, they were you know, relegated to the kitchen. And as they were in the kitchen, she said from her bedroom, she can hear them praying. But the way they prayed was different than other kinds of people praying. They prayed with a certainty. They prayed with this confidence. They prayed with a sense of, we will not be denied. They prayed with a sense like, I know God and I know what God can do. And we're not going to let go of the hem of the garment of heaven until God gives her a breakthrough. And she said they were there for these extended times, praying, crying out to God. And one day she said she felt something in her legs as if God healed her. And she got healed and was able to get up and walk around and function. May I introduce you to Sandy Bug? Would you stand up, please? I want you to see this woman that God healed. She's one of the deaconesses in our church. Heads up our church life and connects our new members with the life of our church. But here she is today being able to enjoy these many years, a grandma and able to be a mother and able to enjoy all of the, the, the full functions of, and mobility of her legs. Why? Because there were these women that understood that prayer involves persistence. And I'm simply saying to that to encourage you, God is letting us understand, don't quit just because you prayed for two minutes about something. Don't throw in the towel. Don't walk away. Don't abandon the validity of prayer, the power of prayer. Don't do that. Learn what Jesus was teaching, that unnamed disciple. Some things will only occur when you pray with the shameless audacity and you knock on the doors of heaven. Not that God is saying, I don't want to be bothered, but God's saying, I want you to understand the attributes and have the internal accoutrements of a soldier so you know how to be able to fight the fight of faith and you know how to engage heaven when it comes to the things that you need to see. May God, I need my daily bread. E.M. Bounds, who was a trained attorney and before he entered ministry, wrote lots of books on prayer, was a tremendous intercessor. He said, I think Christians fail so often to get answers to their prayers 
because they do not wait long enough on God. In the early days of our church, first two years, about 80% of the congregation were women. And I have nothing against women. I'm the son of a woman, the husband of a woman, the father of two women. So I got no problem with women. But I, I do have a problem when the church is only primarily 80% women and 20% men. There's a problem here. And so I remember saying, because I got to the place where I was saying, God, there must be something that you can do through prayer. And I remember saying to the tiny congregation, about maybe 50 people, I said, I'm going to be here on Saturday morning. Now, that was time we were renting space from an Episcopal church in South Orange, their multi-purpose room. That was our meeting room and for Sundays, and they gave us the ability to use it for Saturday for that special meeting. And I said, I'm going to be here Saturday at 10 a.m., and I want to pray that God will give us a breakthrough to being, begin to add men to our church in a unique way. If you'd like to join me, please come. That Saturday morning... About maybe 30 people showed up. And I remember we're praying. And during one of the we're just praying for that one thing. God, give us a breakthrough. Save husbands and fathers and uncles and nephews and sons and co-workers. And bring them to the local church and use us to be gateways for men to be added to our church. And that's how we pray. And we, I remember going one hour and we're praying. And one time we're marching around the room praying and saying, God, give us men for your kingdom. We're marching. And I remember at 12 noon, nothing magical about 12 noon, but at 12 noon, I felt a release, a breakthrough. And I said, what does that feel like? It's like when you burst a balloon, you feel the pressure just leave. At 12, as we marched around, we said, God, give us men. You just felt it. You broke through. We had persisted in prayer to get a hold of God. That next Sunday, the following day, and thereafter, men, the Lord. In fact, years later, I want to just show you. All the men that are here, stand please. Every man in this room, stand. Just stand, men. Just stand, men. Stand, men. Stand, men. All over. All the men. All the men. Stand. All the men. Stand. All the men. Stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. What I'm showing you is that it, it's, it's uh, nobody special. We don't even know the name of this disciple because it wasn't about his name. Because if it was, it was Peter, we said, that's Peter. If it was James, we said, oh, it's because of James. If it was John, it's John. Oh, if it was Matthew, oh, it's Matthew. Jesus does not give us the name. What is he saying? You can be that disciple. I can be that disciple. Any one of us could be that disciple. Prayer is relational. Prayer requires persistence, and Jesus then ends his training in this session by saying, prayer involves faith. You can't get around it. Faith speaks of certainty. Faith speaks of assurance. Faith speaks of having confidence in God's willingness to answer prayer. And so Jesus moves away from what we call the Lord's Prayer, to the parable, then he gives us this axiom or this principle. In verse 9 he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. 
knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone, 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 everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus, he, he's such a master teacher. He lays out for us that, he says, wait a second, this, this principle of prayer and the principle of faith engagement, he says, let me show you that there's styles of prayers. There are different modes of prayers. There are different types of prayers. He says, when you ask, the answer will be given. There are other times when you seek, the answer will be found. Other times when you knock, the door will be opened. That's what those women did when praying for Sandy Bug. They knocked. See, Jesus was not the only one who talked about different types of prayers. Just like the different types of automobiles. If I'm going to the mall, I may get into a minivan, SUV, a sedan, drive to the mall, family car. We're, we're good. If I'm in the Indy 500, I'm not entering with a minivan. I don't care how souped up that is. I'm not going with a minivan. And if I'm at war, I'm not taking a, one of those fast racing cars. Not to war. I'm looking for a Sherman tank. All motor vehicles, but a minivan, a race car, a Sherman tank, different types of vehicles. Same way, they're different kinds of prayers. The Apostle Paul said that in Ephesians 6 verse 18. He says, and pray in the Spirit. With the efforts of the Spirit, with the mind of the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So Paul echoed what Jesus taught, and that is there are different kinds of prayers. Sometimes we're using the same prayer. Now we all use the same type of prayer for every situation. It's like using the same voice for every circumstance. When I popped the question to my wife, I didn't say, Will you marry me? That's not intimate, that's not romantic. The only response that'll engender is, no, you're crazy. I mean, no, I'm going to use a different, I'm going to use a, you know, I'm going to use a romantic voice. I'm going to use a soft voice. I'm going to whisper the request in a kneeled position. I did. She said, yes, it worked. <laughs> the different kinds of prayers. E.M. Bounds also said, Prayer is our most formidable weapon, but the one in which we are the least skilled, the most averse to its use. So you got to really know this is the weapon that God's given you. You got to know how to use it. So he says, ask, seek, knock. To ask, this captures a kind of prayer that's called petitionary prayers or petitions. You say, what's a petition? When you go grocery shopping, it goes best if you have a list. So I would write out a list. Bread, milk, oranges. And so you shop from the list. Petitionary prayer is when you have a list. 
and you go before God and you're asking God. Now, that doesn't take away from the value of the prayer. I already know what the will of God is. That's why I can list the desires and make it so clear. You're on my list. Did you know you're on my prayer list? Oh, yeah. He said, I didn't know. Oh, yes, you did. You may say, well, what are you praying about for me? I'm praying that you would walk in all of the will of God for your life. I'm praying that you would grow spiritually and fulfill God's purpose for you. I'm praying health and success and wealth for you and your family. And a number of other things. But it's on my list. I know that that's God's will. And so I can pray, I can ask. But I couldn't ask if you're single and your name is Mary and, and, and you want to get married. I couldn't say, God, you know, bring John into Mary's life. I, I can't ask that because it would be presumptuous of me and foolish of me because I, I don't know that John is the one for you. And Mary, you may not be the one for John, even though you think you are. You may not be. And so I can't use petitionary prayer because the will of God is unclear. So Jesus then said, seek that embodies a kind of prayer that deals with investigation, in probing, in searching out, in, in querying God over an extended period of time. That's the prayer of intercession. That's when, and I'm not saying it's the only kind of prayer that fits under that mode of seek, but it's the prayer that says, God, I'm searching out your will. I Give me insight. Show me what to do. Give me guidance. Give me clarity. I don't understand what your will is. And so I'm investigating, just like when I had to transition from a career as an environmental engineer into ministry. I didn't just say, God, am I to be in ministry? Yes or no? Yes or no? Talk fast, God. I got a couple of minutes. No. I didn't know what the will of God is, so I had to then intercede, search out, seek out, investigate through prayer whether or not ministry in the context of being a pastor was God's will for me. And so I spent months in prayer, broken up into different segments, sometimes for three whole days taking time off from work just to hear God because I wanted to make sure when I made this life-altering decision, indeed, it was God's will. And I'm saying to you, some of you are in life-altering situations. Don't, don't be glib about it. What you do is going to have impact upon your children and your children's children. Don't make a rash decision. What is the mind of God? Jesus said, seek and you will find. If God says no, rest assured, no. I am using the model of marriage. And so when I was dating Marlinda, I was seeking God. Is she the one for me? And it took months for me as I'm praying and then and I'm making sure there's this synergy and this connection. And, and then I resolved it. Yes, she's the one. But I couldn't tell her, hey, you're the one for me. Uh, you know, you don't need to pray. I took care of that already. I mean, that's ridiculous. Now, I dated other women when I prayed. And I just you just knew that that's not the one. And when you know it's not the one, don't try to twist God. Go on, God, I want that to be the one. Look how cute she is, God. She is the one. God says, no, 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 that's not the one. Knock is the third phase of prayer that Jesus is saying. And knock is when you're travailing. 
Travail is the persistent kind of prayer exemplified in Matthew 26. Jesus in the garden for three one-hour blocks of time. He's crying out to God. Travail. Travail is when you have emotional energy. You're overwhelmed. Your heart's full with the matter. And you just spend time just crying out to God. Why? There's resistance. You feel that there's a blockage. You feel that there's some deterrent. And so instead of giving up, you're saying, God, I'm going to press in. I need to know your mind on this. Ben Carson, who is now, Dr. Ben Carson is now the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Prior to that, he was, he was, he was this, you know, tremendous neurosurgeon. And when he was a little boy, mother and dad had, had divorced because his dad had another family somewhere that never had divorced, had, you know, two sets of families. When the mother found out about it, she broke off the relationship and the marriage. And so she's raising her two sons, Curtis, which was old, who's older than Ben Carson. And so, and sh- the boys are doing bad in school and they're acting out. And she's, she has her job and was as a domestic helper that she cleans, clean people's homes. And she went before God. She said, God, I don't know what to do with these sons. God, help me that, that these sons don't become, you know, don't become individuals that are criminals and, and bad elements in society. And she's crying out to God, travailing, knocking on the door of heaven. What do I do? And Ben Carson writes in his book, Gifted Hands, that the Lord spoke to my mom and said, from now on, every day after school, make sure your sons go to the library and they write an essay after the books that they read. And out of that comes Curtis, who is a aeronautical engineer, and Ben Carson, who is this brilliant neurosurgeon that, you know, globally. I'm not talking about political position. I'm talking about the outcome of prayer. And I'm saying to you, don't give up on things that seem to be so difficult. We serve God, and he is the one who sought and established prayer. He invites you to pray. He welcomes prayer. He's open to prayer. He responds to prayer. God's not moved by pity. He's not moved by sympathy. You walking around all forlorn and feeling bad about yourself, that doesn't move God. You being moody, that doesn't move God. What moves God is prayer. The Bible says we have not because we ask not. And Jesus is saying, anybody can pray. And he did, we don't even know the name of the disciple. He says, let me just tell you some practical tips on prayer. Prayer is relational. Prayer involves persistence. Prayer involves faith. Anybody can do it. And God responds. What a God that we serve. Don't you love him?